Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Do solar panels work in winter? Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B-Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. A very big hello and welcome everyone. Brett Phillips with you again for another week uh, covering uh, the world of tennis. one uh, 736 736 That's the number to dial if you want to join the tennis conversation. The Tennis Direct text, you can get involved in that tonight. 0433981116. Go shopping while you're listening tonight. Tennisdirect.com.au. Use that code first serve one zero. You get a nice little ten percent off. All the goodies are delivered to your front door. Coming up on the B Solar menu, uh, your calls. Finals time on the ATP and WTA tour. We're going global to USTA critic Javier Palenka in Miami, to a tennis story out of Rwanda in Africa, to Aussie JP Smith's own personal cheer squad coming out of the UK. Get involved tonight, one 736 736 or on the text 0433 You've got mail. Indeed, we have uh, right off the top because we love hearing from you at any time. We're going into the first serve mailbag tonight that I received on the back of last Monday's show. G'day, Brett. Love catching up with the first serve every Monday morning live here in New York City. You had a caller named James this week who felt that Djokovic should be allowed entry to Victoria. James said inoculations are to protect the person that is inoculated. But he disregards the larger truth that we also get vaccinated to protect their partners, children, parents, grandparents, neighbours, and in this case, Aussie Open staff and spectators from the virus. James suggests that Djokovic's prior infection makes him good to go for the AO. But findings from the National Institute of Health, the US National Medical Research Agency, suggest that natural immunity and vaccine-generated immunity to COVID will differ in how they recognise new viral variants. What's more, antibodies acquired with the help of a vaccine may be more likely to target new COVID variants uh, potently, even when the variants carry new mutations. Data provides further documentation that those who have had and recovered from a COVID-19 infection still stand to benefit from getting vaccinated. No tennis player or international visitor of any stripe should be allowed into Australia without being at least double vax. Regards, Sean Hingston. Now, we have had Sean on the program uh, before. It's great to have you listening in live early morning in one of the great cities of the world, Sean. So thank you for that uh, correspondence. We surely are getting closer to knowing what is going on. But 
I'd love to be a continued fly on the wall. I'll maintain that I'd be flabbergasted if Novak Djokovic is not here for the Australian Open. Uh, making headlines all thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialists. Our good friends at Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. Uh, check them out during the week, aste.com.au. It's a disturbing story, this one. I'm sure you may be across it uh, from the weekend. The, the WTA has called for an investigation after Chinese tennis player Shui Peng seemingly vanished uh, following disturbing allegations of sexual assault against a former uh, vice premier. So Peng, one of uh, China's uh, sporting stars, uh, she's been number one in doubles, two majors, won 22 uh, doubles titles across her career. Uh, has reportedly uh, hasn't been seen or heard for for 10 days after earlier this month claiming that uh, Zhang Gali coerced her into sex. Now, uh, Peng alleged on her Weibo social media account on uh, November 2 that Gwali, who became a member of one of the standing committees over in uh, China, which is China's top decision-making body, forced her into having sex despite repeated refusals uh, following a round of tennis uh, three years ago. Her post also said that she had sex uh, once uh, seven years ago and she had feelings for him after that. Uh, Peng said in that post, uh, which was deleted around half an hour after it was published, that she could provide no evidence to back her allegations. China's internet is heavily censored and the private lives of top leaders are an especially a sensitive subject. Uh, concerns among the global tennis community have grown in the past two weeks as she has not been seen uh, since that post. Now, the WTA said in a statement yesterday that it will seek a full, fair and transparent investigation into sexual assault allegations against the former Chinese leader. It's a really disturbing story considering uh, that China has become, and Asia, has become huge for the WTA, certainly not the last two years with uh, COVID-19, but uh, that is a story that will continue to uh, certainly follow. Carlos Alcaraz, Masters Milan. He is the next-gen champion for 2021. The top contender and very much on top throughout the week. Fine, fine performance to win it as he did in straight sets. 4-3, 4-2, 4-2. He's a star, this young man. He's the most exciting talent in the game right now, Carlos Elcarez. 18 years of age, he becomes the latest winner of the next-gen ATP finals for the best eight uh, 21 and unders, uh, played in Milan. I went to the first edition, which was uh, brilliant, and we get a real glimpse of uh, the, these guys up close taking on each other. So he beats uh, Brandon Nakashima. Um, he beats Serendolo, the Argentinian. Holger Rune, of course, Sebastian Bayers, uh, who really impressed me, actually, the 20-year-old from Argentina, who's just outside the top 100. And when you looked at that field of eight, he was one name that... You thought, OK, he's uh, he's in the actual field. That's a bit of a surprise. And uh, Sebastian Corder, of course, was um, in the draw. He's had a, a terrific year, as we know, going from outside the top 100 to inside the top 50. But Alcaraz's genuine box office is no doubt he is going to be in the top five. He could be world number one one day. To think that Spain, post-Rafael Nadal, is going to have another superstar uh, in the making is uh, a little frightening. Now, to the ATP finals. It got underway, of course, overnight. Daniel Medvedev beat Herbert Hukash, 6-7, 6-3, 6-4. Would have loved the court to be just a little slower 
the big Russian, as soon as you make one good shot, the point is probably over, was his quote after the match. So he'd like it a little slower. Alexander Zverev got through today, not in the circumstances he would have liked. Uh, unfortunately, Matteo Berrettini, and we saw it in Australia going back, uh, what, 18 months ago, almost two years ago, when he had the abdominal injury. Well, it flared up today after a titanic first set. Let's have a listen to big Sasha having a chat after the match. Well, Sasha, what's in your heart right now? Because you were playing such a wonderful match and then for it to stop in that awful manner. To be honest, I feel like crying right now, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, to be honest, yes, it was a fantastic first set. The level was great. But at the end of the day, it's not important because in the end of the day, what you want is both players to shake their hand at the end of the match and go off the court healthy and prepare for the next one. And Matteo, this is is the worst feeling he can have because he's playing all year long to qualify for this event. It's so special because it is at home for him. You know, we have, what, 15,000 people here all cheering him on. And after one set, the term is over for him. So um, right now, I mean, I, I don't really want to talk about my match. I don't really want to say much about the match uh, that I won or anything like that. I, right now, I know Matteo personally so well, and I just feel bad for him, to be honest. So that's uh, Alexander Zverev reflecting on that uh, match that didn't uh, reach its full conclusion today. We'll see if Berrettini takes any further part in the ATP finals in Torino in the north of Italy for the very first time. Uh, the Italians love their tennis and uh, the atmosphere was uh, like it was at the O2 Arena in London the last uh, few years. Um, Nikola Mikic and Monte, Marte Pavic, the two Croatians, uh, got through today. Of course, they are the season-ending world number ones of an unbelievable uh, period the amount of trophies they've won this year so uh, they uh, get through their first uh, round robin match uh, to the WTA finals uh, she began to walk towards Katita Martinez you know she wanted to embrace her coach because what an effort she put in tonight but then remember oh yeah my opponent goes to the net first and now recognizes this crowd Viva España it's guaranteed that 50% of the participants in the semi-finals in Guadalajara will hail from Spain uh, hail from Spain, indeed. Paula Badosa to now take on Gabinia Muguruza. That was the audio, uh, thanks to being in sports uh, today, after her uh, very, very good win against Annette Contivate, who'd been running hot, although Contivate is into the semifinals, courtesy of winning two of her three round-robin matches. So she'll play either uh, Sabalenka or uh, Sakari, who will play tomorrow. Muguruza to take on Badosa. Uh, well done to the Mexican tennis fans. It'll be a one-off. Well, they'll be hoping that uh, maybe tennis doesn't restore itself in China uh, next year, but I think it probably will in 12 months' time. But uh, Arena Sabalenka is the top seed in that tournament. She's still got to win her match tomorrow to get through to the semifinals. But Muguruza uh, certainly uh, looking the part. And, of course, Pliskova beat Krachikova earlier in the day to book her spot. So all Gabinia had to do was win, and uh, she uh, certainly did that. Uh, ATP 250, the Stockholm Open. Well under Tommy Paul, the American, wins his first ATP Tour title. He's one of many promising young Americans. Of the Aussies across the weekend, Olivia Chandramulia won the ITF uh, 60K in Santiago in Chile. Uh, young Aussie, we've spoken about him this year, the 18-year-old uh, Philip Sekulich, who finished uh, runner-up and he's made an ITF 15K final in India. So he's 29 in the world in the junior rankings, one of two Aussie boys in the top 100. He's played all the slams this year. So a young Queenslander we're going to keep a very close eye on. Ali Osborne, runner-up in the doubles at the ITF 25K in Daytona Beach. Alicia Smith, uh, runner-up in the doubles in uh, Italy in the ITF 15K there. And William Maher was uh, runner-up in the doubles final at the ITF 
uh, 15K in Greece, some of the Aussie action from the weekend. I need to tell you, our latest feature at our website, thefirstserve.com.au, is Choosing the Right Racket. It's written by award-winning tennis journalist uh, Courtney Walsh uh, with the major focus of the story certainly centred around uh, US Open champion Emma Raducanu's decision to stick with Wilson. So uh, make sure you uh, check that out, which is a beautiful little segue into Wilson's sporting goods. are on board with us whose vision is for a better world through sport. You can head over to au.wilson.com, access all their products to get back on court. Nice little code there, first serve 1-5. You'll get 15% off all the goods delivered to your front door. And Wilson are creating products for you to live like an athlete. We had a lot of great entries into our racket giveaway, thanks to Wilson. We've got three days left of that. Clash into Platinum, Wilson Australia are giving away the one Clash 100 Special Edition tennis racket frame to the value of just under $350. So simply enter via the homepage of our website, scroll down to the bottom, or via our Facebook and Twitter accounts. Uh, it's pinned to the top uh, there, or via our Instagram bio uh, by providing simply your first name, last name, and email address. You could be a winner when that closes in three days' time. A break. Uh, we're going to Miami. This is a fascinating little story coming up. A staunch critic of the USTA, Javier Palenque, next. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit B.Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. And glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Well, away from the everyday forehand, backhand serve and volley, is the business side of tennis. Uh, Javier Palenka is a tennis activist who cares deeply about the growth and welfare of tennis. He's based in Miami. His simple mission is to help America's governing body of tennis, the USTA, to help tennis. A staunch critic of the running of the game in the US, he's done his homework by studying and researching the business side. You can follow him on social media, YouTube, LinkedIn. Our chat tonight, thanks to Tennis Marketer, dedicated to helping tennis businesses around the world grow online and get your website and social media pages professionally set up for you by experts who certainly know their tennis. You can visit tennismarketer.com.au. Javier Palenque. I was a decent player, more of a hardworking player, which means I'm not very good. I did play Division Three college tennis here in America, which of course is not the, the good ones, but... My love for the game started when I started to get some skill and feel the competition. I fell in love more with the game when I realized that a lot of the lessons that I learned by the time I was 18, I could use in the business world concurrently. And then I thought, this is, of course, something that everybody should benefit from. Of course, tennis is an expensive sport, much more so in South America. You can only play at a private club. There's no public anything. And public clubs are incredibly expensive, which means only you play only if you're well off, right? And so I, of course, instilled this desire to both of my kids and signed them up to play here in the United States. And the more I got involved, the more I realized that the way they were approaching the game was the wrong way. And by that, I mean looking for a champion, looking for high-level competition. And while that all is good to some degree, it's good for a minuscule number of people and coaches. And the, the sport itself has an enormous amount of benefits for everybody. And so I started to try to approach this tennis 
uh, from a business point of view, I'm a consultant. I travel all over the world. I consult all over the world. And I also coach, but not under the principle that you'll be a champion, but rather if you spend your time playing tennis or learning how to play tennis to your level of your skill, the benefit is enormous for your life. And, and I tried to convey that to the Federation here, and they basically shut me down left and right. And the more I tried to convince them that the approach was wrong, obviously meaning the approach has to be such that a lot of people play. There was no point if few people play. It just makes no sense. But they didn't care, and they rejected it. So then I decided I'll apply to be a board member. I went through the whole application and they turned me down telling me that they had too many candidates. And then I wrote a piece four years ago called The Arrogance of Ignorance, 12 or 15 pages, if I'm not mistaken. And that basically described in those pages my experience with the Federation here in the United States and how I thought everything was wrong and how it was actually killing tennis as opposed to improving it. That got me quite a lot of connections contacts, people asking to meet with me, talk to me, interview me, whatever. And before I knew it, there was a large amount of people who were, if not as dissatisfied as I was, much more so. But then I learned that the Federation actually kept all these people quiet. And the more that I wrote, the more followers that I got. And soon enough, I have followers that are top 100 players, top coaches. Of course, all the federations follow me. And all of a sudden now I became a nemesis to the federation when all I want to do is have more people play the game, yep. which would tell you this makes no sense, but it does make sense once you uh, know what I know. And if we discuss that, I'll tell you, I don't think it's any different in other parts of the world. With the exception of France, France has a different uh, setup, a huge huge competition of clubs, a lot of participation, and they mm. went through this many, many years ago. And England's a private club, and they run it in a different fashion. And so there's only two other Grand Slams, right? And that's Australia and the USTA, the US Open. And there's a lot of similarities if you look at in detail at how they act, their finances, how they allocate the money. And then you'll realize the game it cannot possibly grow under the, the premises that they have. So just give us a little more uh, background about your academic background and what you do for a, a livelihood. And to be a critic of the USTA and an activist, if you like, to try and bring about change, how you go about digging for the information that you do and how you come across that information? I am a business consultant. I'm also a real estate investor. So I do real estate deals around South Florida. I consult small and medium-sized businesses, anything under $100 million. I have an MBA from Boston University. I have executive education from Northwestern University and, and Harvard. I have a degree in finance and marketing. What's more important, I think, about my background is that I've worked in 70 countries and I'm constantly traveling. And that gives you a perspective on how it is and, and, and here's my, my premise. I believe before you're an Australian, because you had no choice in becoming an Australian, I had no choice in becoming a Bolivian, but you are a citizen of the things you love. I particularly love tennis. I would like to spend a lot of my time playing tennis. At the end of the week, I can't wait to go either train, practice, or hit some balls with my kids. 
So I believe I am a tennis citizen. And I believe that we are a citizen of what we do and what we love more than we are Australians, Americans, Bolivians, whatever. And so that gives me the, the ability to have, of course, a lot of information, where to search for it, how to find it, and present really critical arguments in order to be able to address an issue that needs to be addressed. In America in particular, the issue that I'm adamant about is participation. The most recent article that I uh, read was USTA's House of Lies in Peril. Now, you've written a lot of articles and you've written a lot of blogs, which are, are fascinating and, and people can can certainly uh, can certainly follow you. Can you take us through a little bit of that and, and then expand on what you think the principles are that should actually guide the USTA and the way they go about running tennis? I think it's really important to understand uh, my background in, to answer this question because I come from a poor country, Bolivia, one of the poorest in the Western Hemisphere. However, the majority of the people are poor. Uh, I had the luck and fortunate to be on a well-established family. Therefore, I belong to a country club. You know, the clubs are just as beautiful as they would be in Sydney or in Miami. But a lot of people are excluded from playing. And in fact, the people that are excluded from playing are the kids who are probably way better than I was. And those would be the ball boys, right? And I remember that I would have a hard time beating some of the ball boys, and I'm the one that took all the lessons and traveled. And of course, this comes with the lack of opportunity, right? Now, take that to my immigration to the United States, and I'm sure Australia has very, very many millions of immigrants as well. And in fact, if you look at your list of players, a lot of them are immigrants, right? Either from Eastern countries or some other countries. Uh, and so this is really, really relevant because I believe that here, when, when you drive anywhere in Florida or every condo has three, four, five, eight, 15 courts, any park has eight, and all empty. They're all empty. So we have the greatest weather. Tennis balls are cheap, $3 for tennis balls. And if you buy them in bulk, they're like $2. And so I always kept thinking in Bolivia, people would die to play. And here we have conditions. We have nonprofits. We have the tax incentive for the government to play and nobody plays. On top of that, the Americans, and, and when I refer to the Americans, I don't mean the ones that are ranked 100. But if you're the wealthiest country in the world, you have the highest revenue as the grand slam in the universe. You have the most money and most allocation. I think it's reasonable to expect that you have the most amount of kids. And of course, not rich kids. I want everybody to play. And so when I see this, my heart boils because I still come home and the courts are still empty. And this is not right. And then when you look at the finances of the USTA, you realize that they use the benefit of the non-for-profit status, but they don't really help anybody. And what do I mean by that? And Tennis Australia is no different. If you look at the revenues of the USTA, $485 million. Revenues of Tennis Australia, I think is 465 million Australian dollars, which are 25% less than American. So it's 300 something. Profits for the USTA for the past five years are non-existent. The only reason they make a profit is because the money they had invested in the stock market went up, but the operations lose money. How do you lose money when a drink costs $1 to make and you sell it for $10 or $12. A hot dog is 50 cents and you sell it for eight. You cannot lose money. If you are a nonprofit, I believe, if you were an investor like I am, if my company or the company that I'm a part shareholder of 
has revenues of half a billion dollars, tennis Australia, in this case, 400 some Australian dollars, million, at a minimum, you expect a 20% return, right? Which means every year, the funding to increase programs for kids, not wealthy kids, obviously, but kids, Australian kids, uh, Bolivian kids, American kids, foreigners, you need to have this money. But guess what? When you look at the funding, this enterprise, the USTA, has $485 million in revenues and basically loses $10 million every year. And it's Australia. I just looked at the finances. Past two years, I mean, COVID, exclude COVID, but they make $5 million or $8 million on $400 million. That's nothing. Put that money in the bank then. I mean, if that's how badly it's run now, badly run, in my opinion, is two things. When you spend so much, the profits are so minimum, then that means you're spending in the wrong thing. Unless, of course, I don't know how it is in Australia, but my local park is empty. There is no coach that is paid. He has to make a living somehow. And there's just not enough kids to make him make a living. So he has a decent life. So he's not going to use it. The courts are not being used. And now pickle courts are going to be used by older people, which is the last thing you want. So you have the real estate, you have the opportunity, you have the money, and now you're going to lose the courts. You're going to lose the possible young coach to play. And the kids in America, at least 40% are obese. Obese, obese means 30 pounds over their weight category. This is a health problem. I believe that if you go to the government and say, I want a tax benefit out of $485 million, I don't want to pay federal taxes. That's great. Well, then show us how you increase the game. I think I'm asking for nothing, to be honest with you, but not enough people complain. And here's another point. I can complain because I don't make my living out of tennis. I can complain because I'm, I, I would say, <laughs> nosed because I want answers, but I've been blocked by the USTA. I met with the chairman of the USTA, uh, with the chairman of the community tennis as well. Let me tell you something. And here's, this is important. And I don't think this is any different in Australia. And this is how they have people fooled. Tennis, the entertainment part is one thing. So the Australian Open is a beautiful entertainment event that is successful in itself. Nobody can argue or disagree with that. However, they spend too much money and they make so little money. There's a problem that needs to be fixed. The same for the USTA. But who watches a three-hour, a four-hour match? Only old people do. And only old rich people do. And the old rich people are getting older. And I'm sorry, but they're completely unattractive for anything other than, I don't know, selling drinks for $20. So you cannot base the beauty of the game and the future of the sport when your demographic is appealing to people who have money, don't play the game, and could care less about anything. So you're you're actually on the highway, on the expressway to destroying the sport. While at the same time, having the best kids not being able to play, or if they are able to play, the system is such that all it does is detracts them from playing and it's a pay to play. And so the whole mindset of the USTA is dated because I don't want to go to the US Open and pay. I, I, I wanted to go to Labor's Cup. Believe it or not, decent seats, $29,000. That's $40,000 for four people. Are you insane? I could buy a car with that. No, no. We need coaches in every corner and we need kids playing and our kids are getting fat. And so the USTA and Tennis Australia focus on 
the entertainment benefits of the sport. What they don't realize is that the entertainment is meant for old people that are decreasing in sizes and don't necessarily play the sport. That's a recipe for absolute failure. The opposite of that, the benefits of tennis are such that that market, meaning the people that play tennis, that have leagues or that play inter clubs or you play dads against daughters or whatever the case may be, that is a market that can grow, but not if enough people don't play, it is impossible for that to grow. So this is an illusion that tennis is doing well because the entertainment part is doing well. It is not. In America, at least I can tell you, it is not. You're in charge. What are the simple solutions to to rectifying a lot of the issues that you see? This is what I would do immediately. First of all, I believe that the tennis audiences for tennis is shrinking. I would stop investing money in a shrinking audience as would any wise business person. I would then split between entertainment business. I would sustain it until it dies. And then because it gives us money, obviously. But then I would separate the community tenants and be separate entities altogether. I would then understand and market the benefits of the sport to all those people and parents. I only in my family managed to get one of them to do it to a competitive level right? Which means, imagine if you're a family of a non-anchor parent, right? Which means the odds of that person playing tennis, those kids don't exist. So those parents need to be educated on the benefits of the sport. But there's no benefit if I have to go and pay $100 a lesson to learn a forehand, to then have to pay $300 to travel somewhere and compete. And then by the time the weekend's over, I spent $600 on a kid. So the next thing people say is, okay, if I'm going to spend 600, you might as well progress a lot. So hire another coach. And that's a thousand dollars. So it just shrinks the pool. So what is the solution? Splitting the two organizations. I don't believe that the USTA should be a non-for-profit if it, what it does is not for profit, is for profit. If the market has to make them make money, make let them make it. You'll realize they won't make any money. So that means it's a dead venue. It's dead. It doesn't work. Look at the financials of Tennis Australia. If you make it or not, I don't know how much it is in Australia or the, the tax not for profit or not. I don't know. But if they only make $5 million out of $460-some million, that means they don't make any money. That means they're spending all the money and they're misspending it. Same here in America. So that's a dying venue. Even though the stadium may be full, it doesn't make any money. Because if you speak money, that same half a billion dollars has to produce $100 million or at least 50. So then you increase 50 more million to build more centers, to give free lessons, to give, I don't know, to make people feel it. This is how you grow the sport. And you let, especially millennials, I don't know the breakdown of Australia, but I can tell you in America, 62% of the population, of the working population are under the age of 40 years old. You know how many of those people play tennis? Almost nobody, which means you're going to lose all their kids. Tennis is on the pathway, on the expressway to disappearance. Remember this and pay attention when you watch TV, if kids are playing. The ATP, the WTA, the Grand Slams are all working under the false premise that their product is attractive for younger generations. It is not. This is a fact. And they can try to do whatever they want to do to change it. The fact is, it is not attractive for generations. And if you don't increase participation, you don't have fans. You don't even have workers for it. In America, at least I can tell you, there's not enough workers. And if any kid says, I would like to get into coaching, if you're a responsible parent, you said, are you crazy? There's not enough money for you there. Don't do it. It needs to be fixed from the top down. 
because the benefits of the sport are such that it is a crime, in my opinion, to deprive people of the benefits of the sport because it's so expensive when there, it doesn't have to be. The market for tennis is actually, depending on how you look at it, you know how many parents would do anything to have their kids get off their computers and their phones? Almost every single one. But if tennis is foreign to them and there's no way to engage them, that's another set of of the population. And by the way, those kids do not want to be champions at all. So don't, don't try to sell them lessons about, forget it. They just want to play. But you need the base filled and recycled so you can have a healthy system. We don't have that. We have an illusion of a tournament that's great and that people go and it, it's good. The reality is it's crumbling. Javier Palenka, it was a fascinating chat. More on that to come. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve. Well, the African nation of Rwanda, which is about 13 million people, doesn't have an ATP, WTA, ITF pro or junior player with a ranking. They have a tennis federation, but it's pretty tough for players with any talent to progress due to the costs, lack of opportunities to play tournaments. 19-year-old Emmy Mugisha, who has played just three ITF junior events across 2018-2019. He found us on our Instagram account to share his story from the capital, Kilgali. First of all, uh, I started playing tennis at nine ages. So I was in primary and I was doing it for fun. I didn't play for professional that time because I didn't have access on many tennis equipment. So the first time I was going out of the country, I was going in our neighboring country, Burundi. I was playing for the under Tello ITF tournament. And then I started liking playing tennis because I was going out to, to stand for the country. So that's the right time I started loving tennis. And then here, the image of tennis here in Rwanda is that we play, like we are professionals, we play some local tournaments. But what makes us to, to remain playing tennis is that we coach and then we, we, we train those little children and then we get a little money. We remain playing tennis. That's the reason we remain playing tennis. We don't play many international tournaments except those we are, which are being held in the East African region. Those are in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Burundi. Those are the tournaments we like to play. Or we played one in Kenya and other two which were held here in Chile. So I didn't get the chance to get all over the final semi-finals, I was more, I was being, I was, I was eliminated in the second round, third round, like uh, because of uh, I didn't have experience to, to to play international matches. Why did you choose tennis as a sport? Because I think as a young boy growing up, I think soccer is the, the biggest sport in Rwanda. Why do you love tennis? The first thing I love tennis. I was playing soccer before. I was playing in. Uh, in a professional team, but I got an injury in my leg, and then they was they were telling me to do a, an expensive surgery. Then I moved it. I got into tennis because tennis there is no collision with other players. You play only you are only one or two, but you don't 
collide with your with another player. So that's why I, I choose tennis. How many tennis facilities are there? What sort of opportunities are there for you to you know try and make something out of tennis? Coaches, equipment, courts. Tell us a bit about the tennis setup. Yeah, in Kigali, I think like. 15 or 20 courts. Uh, mostly uh, are in hotels. Another ones are in schools, like three schools or four schools. The total of the courts are like 12. So the main problem which is here is like even the equipment which are here, they are very expensive. They are very expensive. Many people can't afford it. The people who afford it are those international National people come here, like the foreigners or the or the traders or the investors who come here to run and then play tennis or the ambassadors of the countries. They are the ones who afford those equipment. Mostly of the Rwandans, they fear they fear tennis because it's it's require many things, uh, money and they, and those expensive equipment. And then you you reach out the court and then you find may, those other people playing some pros playing. They, it is very real. Children only who plays because some professionals like to coach. To coach because we don't have money to 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 play those and do some tours. So that's why Rwanda has a, a tennis federation, and I think the ITF is trying to develop tennis in your country more. But what's needed now to to try and get more kids to play tennis? Obviously, it comes down to money and funding, I, I imagine. The main thing which can make the production to work is sponsors. Here, sponsors here, here investing in tennis. So the federation can have the, the fundings from the from the investors, from the companies, but the, those companies don't don't trust that tennis can be their their advertising way. So they fear it. So even the federation is not, they don't have more funding. That's why they don't raise many children or many or many kids. You find here kids playing tennis are those kids which are in rich families. What do you need personally? And you, you, you're talking to an Australian audience here who, who, who love tennis, who've got such a history in tennis. The first thing you need here is like good preparation, a sponsorship, those tennis equipment, so like good rackets, good balls, good bags, good tennis bags. So to improve our our tennis here, we don't have people playing tennis because they don't have equipment. Equipment are, are the main problem here in Rwanda. So if you get equipment, more equipment, we will still play tennis and many people will love it. Many people will play it as for fun, as their favorite sport, and tennis will develop in that way. So that's the reason. Do you watch a lot of tennis? The ATP and WTA events, can you watch them on TV in Rwanda? Yeah, I watch them watching Next Generation ATP Finals. Who do you love watching out of all the players on the tour? I like Fedra. Now he's now in an injury situation, but if he's not around, I like Medvedev. What about the young guys? Is there, have you got a favorite there you love watching? I like the forehand of Al Carvaz. I like very him. I like his strokes very he's very tough in the court he don't give up much i like his all strokes he's very tough and tell us a bit about your game how do you love to play what are your strengths i'm longer i have big height i'm strong in myself i am i'm strong again in my backhand in the forehand it's some spins i play some spin but they are it is not a strong a strong forehand so i play a little bit i surf and then i go on the volley play some good backhand how many times do you get to practice and, and play through a week play in the morning 
training from 6 to 8 and then I play again from 2 to 4 p.m. So I play twice a day. But I play in the normal days only because weekdays I sometimes coach, sometimes train some other to the weekend, maybe for half time to play tennis. And finally, your country is a beautiful country. You went yeah. through a tough period, but now it's it's a beautiful place to come to. Yeah, it's a very beautiful place with some good lakes, good national parks, like gorillas, like as many people know our country is a good visitation place. I visit Rwanda, it's a, it's a good place. When I was still like heat, I, I was dreaming about playing tennis there in Europe or in Australia. I didn't get the ways to come there, play tennis there, because here, play tennis cannot be a, a source of funding. You cannot be rich when playing tennis because many people fear it. So I dreamed about playing tennis there or sometimes coach there or sometimes get some, some trainings in good academies there. So it can be good if I get like a scholarship, a good training in those countries. Now I'm finishing my studies at university. I'm finishing yeah. my university. I have my defense of the final project, my final project this week. So I'm graduating in January. So I'm finishing my university. That's the level of my education. Well, that is Emmy Mugisha from Rwanda with a dream to play professional tennis. If that chat pricks an interest to inquire further as to how you might be able to assist Emmy and other young Rwandans, you can drop me a line at the first serve, sen at gmail.com, and we can put you in touch with uh, Emmy. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With V Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a V Solar advisor. Visit V.Solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. So we've spoken to Emmy in Rwanda. Aussie JP Smith, John Patrick, his mum still calls him that, I think, has a fan base, but it's not here in Australia. We love JP, the lefty. The fan base is in the northeast of England in Durham, the Smithinators, as they are known on Twitter, who follow us and engage, uh, began at the Murray Trophy Tournament in Glasgow 2019. Heading it up is Paula, who joins us live tonight, thanks to Tennis Rehab, combining great tennis coaching, accommodation, local wine and food, other tourist attractions. All tennis lessons are run by either the club professionals or qualified coaches, whose aim is to send you home an improved player. Head to tennisrehab.com.au. Paula, it's great to have you on SEN, the first serve. Brett, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Nice to speak to you. I feel like I know you already because we obviously cover the world of tennis <laughs> for our social media seven days a week. There's always tennis going on and the Smithy Natives are always engaging and following us. So tell us, uh, Murray Trophy 2019, JP partner Jamie Murray, and he really impressed you and you can pick up the story from there. Yes, that's it. That's how we started. So there was a big group of us went up to Glasgow in Scotland um, for the Murray Trophy. And that's Jamie Murray's um, tournament up there. It was a fantastic tournament. Uh, and that week, like you say, JP partnered Jamie and they got all the way to the final. And we were just really impressed with JP. He's uh, such a likeable guy. Um, and he was, you know, getting photographs taken, signing autographs, doing really for non-court interviews and yeah we spoke to him after the matches and for a lot of us it was probably the first time we actually saw JP yeah. you know play live um yeah and so 
the group of us that were up there were part of a, a big group called Murinators, which you may or may not have heard of. Okay. So we started uh, on Facebook, um, and we're Andy and Jamie Murray's supporter group on Facebook, and we're also one of the official Davis Cup supporter groups for Team GB. So because we were Murinators, um, one of the ladies, Gillian, said, well, why don't we become Smithinators? So that's how we that's how we started. There you go. So, so yeah, for those that aren't following the account, fun, really. yeah, absolutely. And JP's a fun guy. He plays a good brand of tennis. Uh, he got to he got to 108 in the world. He's had uh, really good success in uh, doubles. So you've got a, a Twitter account. You might want to give a nice plug there because you'd love a few more people to get behind JP. Yeah, we really would. We've uh, we've got about 300 followers at the moment. Like tw- Twitter's pretty tough, you know. Yeah. So. I'm hoping to uh, bring it to Facebook as well in the new year, so that uh, get a few more followers there. But yeah, we're just at Smithinators on Twitter, so yeah, give us a follow. We uh, we support all the Aussie players as well, and and the Brits as well, of course. And uh, yeah, the content we try and keep it fun as well as like news about JP and his tournament schedules, results, match stats, you know, the photo. We also have um, Fun Fact Friday, which is uh, the first Friday of every month. So that's just basically a uh, a question, a fun fact about JP, and there's some possible answers on then. Whoever guesses the right answer gets a point, and then Very the nice. points are rolled over, rolled over. At the end of the year, there's um, there's some prizes. So right JP stuff. signed a few bits, so people Excellent. can win some prizes. So Terrific. Thank you, Paula, so much. Uh, we have run out of time. Our show goes so quickly on a Monday night, but we wanted to get you on yeah, because sure. I need to hear your voice. We've been talking on social media for some time, uh, on Twitter, at the Smithy Naders, and you can uh, yeah. follow JP Smith. And I promise you, 2022, we will have JP back on the radio with us. So stay tuned. Oh, that, Thank you, Paula. That would be great. Thank right. you so much, Brett. Thanks now. Great to chat. Paula George over there in the UK and... I think a few of Paula's friends have got right behind her on the text here. Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices. Tennisdirect.com.au. Go shopping. Use that promo code FIRSTSEV10. Hit them beautifully this week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.